Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest video. There is no epic loot here, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. The link to the story will be down below. If you wish to support the author, please head over there and give them support. If you wish to support the channel, there are numerous ways to do so down below. There is Discord, Merch, Patreon, bunch of other stuff too. So have a look in the description, you might be surprised. Anyways, now on to the fiction. As always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 149 The Cost of Magic Garn came to a stop in a small, round crossroad within the maze. Three paths met up to his face, a single direction left to travel, and from the furthest of the third paths, a sterl and silver appeared, looking a little breathless. Good, we found you, Estelle exclaimed, leaning on her knees to breathe. Oh, you're alive! I was betting Silver would have left you behind or had to bail out you. Dawn said as Hazar lingered back, avoiding the light of the mushrooms. Estelle glared at him, puffing a chest out. We were faced with a near unbeatable test that took all of my wisdom and intelligence to pass. She exhaled with a businesslike tone and Silver shifted to her side, not saying anything. But it was clear that he was amused. Silver helped, she allowed. Hazer finally walked forward and Khan could see the confusion on Estelle's face as Hazer had removed parts of his trousers to turn them into combat shorts in order to wrap his head in the thick protective cloth. Hazer, were you attacked by a murderous pygmy with scissors? Maybe the fashion eater on a warpath, or were you just sprucing up your look for my benefit? Estelle asked with narrowing her eyes. I don't want to talk about it, he stressed firmly. Estelle seemed to have some sixth sense on Hazar and embarrassing things because she moved like a snake. Why does your normally bald head have two bulging parts? She pressed on and the man glared at her. Khan had seen hardened warriors wolf under that glare. But Estelle seemed unaffected by it, either by exposure or bullheadedness. Khan paused to snicker. Bullheadedness, he repeated to himself quietly. But Hazer must have heard because he turned his murderous glare onto him. Look, a path, Khan said helpfully and walked on. He ignored Estelle's spluttering and Hazer's muttering. Silver fell into step next to him. I enjoy your nails, Silver said, and Khan beamed, flashing them for great effect in the ambient light. I've never painted my nails before. Well, this is more like body poisoning with Styler, but still, he said with enjoyment. I was led to believe that atypical gender notions made some men uncomfortable about trying more gentle art and fashion, Silver asked, a little confused, and Khan thought about his childhood, especially after Gamma, where he spent what seemed like endless days under the cruel sun in a metal cage that would sear his flesh if he touched it from heat alone. I find life too short to be embarrassed by colors and slightly different lengths of fabric, Khan said simply. I wish I could live as open as you, Silver said, evenly. And Khan didn't try and be an arsehole and pretend Silver could just be more confident in himself. He didn't tell Silver to be confident either. Silver's case could literally get him murdered if he showed his face in the wrong town. No amount of courage would save Silver from a mob. Just stick with Hazzy and Essie and me. We're distracting enough so you can be left alone, Khan suggested. You're all quite, um... Colorful, Silver said with a slight hint of amusement. Khan just winked back. The group came to a stop as the hallway opened to a large chamber that had been the deepest part of the second floor. 
A large chasm separated one side from another, and only a narrow stone path connected the two sides. Each wall showed a massive carved mural that was lit up by various glowing mushrooms. One side was that woman again, Data, that had been seen around the dungeon before. She had her hands crossed, and her eyes seemed oddly animated for a wall. The other was a teen boy that Khan was pretty sure hadn't been seen anywhere else in the dungeon. Grumpy-looking git, Khan said as he'd teen with blue hues painted about him and was glaring at the entrance as if hating them on principle. Her sign was ominously waiting for them, the first one they'd seen in a while. When she is awoke, the shadows follow and obey. When she sleeps, her hornets stir, she gives pains, and she accepts it. Watch closely. Khan, take the lead and watch for wires or traps on the bridge, Hazer said as he pulled the rope out of the bag that he carried with him, tying it to one of the pillars of the doorway arch they had come in. Not enough rope to tie everyone together, so you'll all better be ready to grab if the bridge goes, he warned. I don't think it will. The sign speaks of uh, hornets. That seems more like an incoming threat, Bestel pointed out and Khan agreed with her. Once they were ready, Khan slowly stepped onto the bridge and began to move in a painfully slow manner as he scouted for any obvious signs of tampering on the bridge. The room was quiet, but they all soon heard something unnerving. Grinding stone. The eyes! Hazar snapped, and Khan saw the mural of Delta was moving. Her eyes were being rotated around on some disc to replace her open eyes with soft closed ones. Where should we run? Nistel demanded. Don't move! Khan warned as dozens upon dozens of tiny little wooden blowpipes emerged from the mural of the teen boy. But they didn't fire. The mural of the teen, its eyes had moved, landing squarely on them. Seconds passed and Khan could hear Estelle groaning. I have an itch, she whispered, shaking. Resist, Hazar warned her quietly as they all stood like statues. It's between my nose and my eyes, Estelle hissed. There was a tense moment before Delta's eyes swung back around to open and the blowpipes vanished, as if scared and being caught by the mural. Yes, Estelle cried, going to town on her face with one hand. Move, Hazar said as they took five more steps before the eyes once more swung shut. They passed this easily enough, and Khan was beginning to think that this wouldn't be so bad. They took some more steps, and the grinding stone came again. Khan stopped, but Hazel grunted in surprise. What? Khan began, and something hit him on the side, making him wince. But he resisted the urge to grasp at the place where the blunted dart had smacked him. It hadn't pierced, but it had enough force behind it to likely already be forming a bruise. Khan looked up to see Delta's eyes had closed and a stone hand had been raised to her lips as if to shush them. He desperately wanted to look behind him, but those blowpipes in the corner of his eyes were dangerous. On top of that, he could hear something else that was new. It was a lot like wood moving over stone, but Khan couldn't see what it was and turning his head was not possible until the statue moved again. Khan! Estelle cried out, and that was followed by her screaming, which caused her to be hit by a second volley that sounded like it nearly sent her over the edge. That was until Silver moved, his odd metal feet shifting to likely catch her, but he didn't cry out when the darts hit themselves on his body. Some of them 
sounding like they hit metal. Khan understood what Estelle had been trying to warn him about. A long, wooden pole playfully nudged his body as if teasing to push him over, but he pulled back after a moment. That had been to make his team break position rather than actually push Khan over, and it had worked. Great, the little demons had mind games mixed into demented test. The statue returned to a neutral position and the team pushed on, but they were cut short just before making it. They all carefully watched the statue for changes. The first eyes rotated, indicating that they shouldn't be seen moving. Then she covered her mouth to indicate that they shouldn't make a sound. And then she did one final thing that made them all recoil internally. The statue's hand moved to its remaining hand to her throat as if clutching it. Khan instantly felt his lungs burn as the sudden halting to something they considered important. His breathing. Did Estelle just exhale when the statue moved? Did Silver need more air or less? The burning grew sharper as the statue didn't move after five seconds. Six. Was Hazar choking or was Khan imagining it? Seven. Estelle likely had never been quiet for this long. Eight. Just as Khan was about to gasp at the 11 second mark, the statue moved back to normal and the entire group grasped lungfuls of air. This place sucks, Estelle wheezed. They finally crossed the bridge and Estelle let out some tribal war cry. God stop us! She laughed and a second later, Delta's entire statue moved, rearranging it so that she had the entire back to them. Estelle, we need to go back that way, Hazar said calmly. Yeah, and now we're not allowed to breathe, be seen moving, or make a sound on the way back, he continued. I got that. Could you have got that 30 seconds ago, he insisted. Estelle huffed. I have magic barrier. We'll just need to group up close so I don't have to, uh, length so much as thickness, uh, she said, a little feebly. I don't mind either. Just go at your own pace, Khan said helpfully, and she glared at him looking remarkably like a cousin at the moment. We could go one at a time with you. A group can be daunting if your magic isn't up to it, Silver suggested, and Estelle turned her glare onto him next. Men, she said with a dark tone and stomped off. Don't go too far. Don't want you to bury it by yourself, Hazar said dryly. Jump in a pit, she yelled back. Silver, Khan, and Hazar all shared a look that might have been amusement at Estelle's expense, before they quickly followed her, just in case she did need actual protection. This place was unpredictable. Haldi hummed as he moved the large mirror out of the closet, removing the old musty sheet that covered it. Ah, self-love machine, said Arst, and Haldi stared at him, not understanding. A mirror, Chris translated before narrowing his eyes at the thing. A communications mirror. He guessed, and Haldi grinned, showing his missing tooth. Exactly. I'll give Oopi a little ring since he should still have his pair somewhere. If he answers, is another question. But let's not plan too far ahead. I'll forget and wander off to make more cheese, Haldi warned, as he set the mirror up in a good spot. Is the mirror like a... a phone? Alpha asked, and Seth decided to answer him. Mirror is like, um, instant paper that shows face. Only one and one can be paired, like Wormhouse, he said, and Alpha seemed to understand the man. Bless the boy. Haldi couldn't get any sense out of Seth. Come again? Haldi asked blankly. 
He means like a letter that is instant, but also shows your face. But only two can work together, like two openings of a tunnel. Arthur explained, and Seth beamed at him. Basically, Opie and I have these mirrors bonded when we were still tolerated each other. He mostly used them and bossed me around and brag about his achievements. So, I ended up doodling on the glass to give him a moustache or wigs. Great thing is that they actually usually think it's just smudges on the other side. Haldi snickered. I thought if we were avoiding telling the Archmage who observed him for the longest time, that would be the best way that we could avoid being murdered. Quiss pointed out a bit tersely. You could try, but trust me, you need to handle your problems head on with some good food in your stomach. These things are magic and magic won't be ignored. Haldi instructed as he adjusted the gems around the frame to a certain direction, increasing how receptive it was. He was silently pleased to see it work again, since when Durance had uh, done something, the village had lost most of its mana in a dead zone, so most magical items lost their powers because uh, of reasons. Haldi didn't dwell on the reasons. Too risky. His heart still ached at the name of his missing teammate, Durance, Loved trying his cheese, but that didn't matter now, because he could feel his memories trying to reach for more memories, and those would reach for more of those memories would find those memories. The mirror flickered for a moment, showing that it was powering on. Aldi gladly took the distraction as he was struggling to keep his mind off events. He tapped the mirror as it seemed to be flickering with orange ripples for a moment, then his call was answered by a much older and yet familiar face of his brother. Hello, Opie, Haldi said softly. The face that stared back at him looked far too supple and put together for Haldi's older brother's actual age. The mirror still showed a ghostly reflection of Haldi that overlaid Opie's face, showing where Haldi had wrinkles and deep crow feet with the weathered face. Opie's face looked like someone twenty years their junior with a healthy glow and silverish hair. That flowed like ghostly moonlight, while Haldi's was wispy and barely combed over. Opapol's robes looked elegant, even if they weren't the famous archmage robes he was known for. They looked like they were made from creatures so rare and put together by mastercraft tailors that half of Durance wouldn't be able to afford the cleaning bull if it ever got dirty. Haldi's patchwork shirt was frayed at the sleeves and had gone from off-white to an aging yellow with the stains of old cheese giving it the appearance like a map. Haldorain, this is um, unannounced, Opopol said finally, and off to the side. Crisp mouthed the name Haldorain to himself in surprise. Haldi, supposed the lad had always just known him as Haldi the harmless cheesemaker. All right, Opie, Haldi asked, and his brother's face darkened like a storm. Archmage Opopol, if he will the mirror said. Less of a request and more like a command. Sure, Opie, um, anywho, I thought I'd check up on my brother since we last spoke ended abruptly. Haldi said brightly, smiling to show his capped tooth, which made his brother's lips pull back in obvious judgment. This made his brother snap, with anger coating every word as he leaned in close enough to fog the side of the mirror. Abrupt! Abrupt! You, that demon, and that huntress invaded the capital and threatened the king with death. You rained enough cheese down on the dat town that my tower needed to be completely rebuilt in the years that followed. Even worse, I have to bear the shame of being related to such a criminal to this day. Overport roared, the mirror shaking with violent magical energy. 
Haldi just blinked, and without missing a beat shrugged, Ah, I was angry at your king. I'm still a little peeved at him. But listen, uh, your tower was ugly. I did you a favor, he said kindly. Listen, I don't have time for your antics. Do what do you want. Last I heard, you and your fellow circus clowns were condemned to a manor void, land, and left to die, and spare the kingdom of you all. The mage said flippantly as he reached for paperwork, doing work as if Haldi was only worth a fraction of his attention compared to the massive job of running the local mage tower in the capital. Haldi frowned. You didn't even check up on me. I mean, uh, I was stuck being a little, uh, manor-deprived, but you didn't check up on me once, he asked. A little hurt creeping into his voice, and Oppopor raised his eyes to stare right into Haldi's. I did both of us a kindness and presumed you dead, he said coldly. Haldi inhaled once, then just smiled, locking that painful statement away until the boys left his hut. Alpha didn't need to see an old man shed a tear when he was relying on Haldi to bring him some comfort. Very well, if you want to put manners and niceties aside, I'll be brunt, Opapal talent dragon. Haldi drew himself to his full height, and the old remodeled church that he turned into his home seemed to inhale as if Haldi was drawing upon the space itself. The man in the mirror drew back surprised. I, Haldorain, the big cheese, bar you from my territory as an individual, the power of my thrice-name dominating your double title, he thundered. Obopal spluttered, as if he hadn't been challenged like this since they were both boys. I am an archmage. Such rules don't bind me. I go where magical issues arise, not that I would visit you or pig farm hovel. Obopal screamed, eyes bulging. Haldi leaned in, channeling a piece of hurt Opopol made him feel into a gleeful smile. Oh, <laughs> then you'll summon the Archmage staff or robes for me to check, hmm? I can be so forgetful in my... hovel, Haldi said, voice dripping like acid, like molten cheese. They stared at each other, and Haldi watched that gleam enter Opopol's eye. The clever intellect that allowed Haldi's brother to become the powerful as parts of the royal court... You no. The tone was both furious and triumphant. Aldi didn't look to the side at Alpha. I do, and you won't come sniffing here for answers. It's called karma, and I think you should start looking for a new job title. Maybe try for assistant to the Archmage. Aldi crossed his arms as his brother drummed his fingers for a moment. I won't lower myself to demand an answer. I know you are as stubborn as you are foolish. You have no clue what you've invited, Opopol warned darkly. His youthful face flushed. Nothing, because you won't admit what you lost and people won't come here for something they're confident hasn't left the capital. Haldi pointed out, and he frowned when Opopol laughed without mirth. <laughs> Again, this is why you may be the most powerful wizard, but you are a terrible wise man. The title of Archmage isn't just clothes and a staff. It is a fragment of magic itself, latching onto the strongest or worthiest magic user to announce their name. Do you think it isn't desired by forces so vile that I could barely leave my tower without facing attacks? The Archmage sneered. I face things I had to purge from my memory of. Your magic addicts don't worry me, Haldi said confidently, shooting off for a wink. You know nothing, nothing of magic, but you are correct. I won't be announcing where this new uh, archmage may be found. Overbull announced with a scowl before he smoothed down his expression. 
I warned you long ago before you sought that fight with the enemy within that another danger lurked within this world. Ignore me now, as you did then, but I won't continue to draw their attention any longer. I'll be destroying this mirror after this, Overwolf said with a flat tone, and Haldi tried not to bite his lip and asked what happened to them. Had magic torn them apart so badly? Goodbye, Opie, Haldi said quietly. The man paused and turned away. Goodbye, Hallie, the man said, and the image cracked violently, distorting the image into a dozen fractures before it splattered and the mirror exploded outwards. Haldi raised a hand to his cheek, coming away with his two fingers covered in redness, his cheek cut by a shard of glass. One world threat at a time, he sighed and turned brightly to his guests. We should be all good now, he won't bother you. He told Alpha with his best jolly tone. He touched his cheek, and a thin foam of cheese spread like fungus over the cut, bubbling before it peeled away to reveal slightly pale but unblemished skin. What was he talking about? The danger he talked about? Quiz asked, suspicious, and Seth just gave him a deeply concerned look. Oh, uh, nothing major, Haldi promised as he pulled out platters of cheese to distract them from his next words. Just that magic may have come to an existence by luring a god into this world and shredding it into ingredients that ended up making the first magic user near the beginning of humanity's history. Haldi said with a snort, Morbid, but how is that dangerous? Chris asked as Alpha looked down at his hands with wide eyes. Just hope he buys into this old myth passed down by the various mage towers, Haldi said, trying to stress how he didn't buy into it given everything that he'd seen. Peace of the gods are bigger than others and certain cultists want to reunite it and worship it as an icon. So they want to kill all archmages in the world and take their titles into one person. Holy said before he plucked a particularly juicy piece of cheese on a stick for himself. Cultists? Alpha echoed. Well, the first magic users kind of uh, borrowed that god from the actual people who believed in it. I don't know anything more because Opie was kind of ranting and raving when he told me this years ago. Aldi shrugged. He'd been more keen with dealing with the, uh, thing that he wasn't supposed to remember. Trust me, he won't come back to bite us, he said, confident, and his three guests shared a worried look. Across the lands, through the dark woods and past swamps of dark bubbling ooze and dirt, a ruinous castle rose up through skeletal trees. Against the moonlit sky, the console looked particularly lopsided and tired. Deeper then, many sublevels into the cold ground, a pair of red eyes opened inside a bedroom. It sat up, slowly, feeling the changes in the gentle balance of magic. She said, nothing more than a release of air escaping her throat, but it was enough to ignite the various torches around the room and awaken the still form of the corner of the room. The woman and the rocking chair that had been cobwebbed and coated over in dust stood up, smoothing down her servant's clothes that looked like a mix of purples, whites, and black tight corset around her waist that allowed a white apron to flow down gently. There was a series of clicks and grinding gears before the maid righted itself and managed to smile. Lady Altness, are you finally uh, awake? The woman shuddered as her voice seemed to grind to a stop for a moment, before clearing up. The young girl in the bed slowly turned to the woman, her red eyes turning pink and milky in the light, betraying her inability to see. <sighs> she breathed, 
moving her hand slowly in one-handed series of gestures. Yes, my lady, I am functional, the maid bowed, making sure to let her clothes brush against each other to let her girl know that she was doing. More gestures and the girl sat up in her bed, barely a slip of a girl, but the paleness of her skin and the stillness of her movements betrayed her unnatural existence. More gestures. Truly, a fragment is finally exposed, the maid said with excitement and the altness sighed more. I shall wake the castle. Your loyal friend, Snugglebuns, remains at your side always, the maid smiled, revealing a slightly stitched mouth and black ears that blended into her black hair as if swept back. The girl turned, railing her hands in utter embarrassment. The maid merely hummed. "'Twas the name you gave me as a young girl. How could I discard such a name? But as you command, your royal maid Snug is here for you. Snugglebuns in secret. She clapped her hands. Her wrists turned like locks in a machine. Before Lady Sarah von Altner sagged as if exasperated and began to edge towards the end of the bed. It was time for a last air of magic to return to the god to write. End of chapter. Chapter 150 The last chamber in the pygmy maze made even Estelle's usual complaints fall short in stunned silence. It was a large, sunken chamber, likely the deepest the second floor ever went with a large dome-like ceiling and pillars covered in those glowing mushrooms akin to floating stars. A central path made of cobblestones led to the back of the room where the stairs rose to an altar. But between the entrance and those stairs were rows of flowers growing out of unique pots and jars. Every flower swayed as gentle music seemed to flow down from the ceiling. A piece then made the group feel like they were in some sacred place, a church or a temple. What is this place? Estelle finally asked her voice feeling like an intrusion to the room. The final resting place of our people came an old tone from behind them. Spinning, Hazel reached for his weapon, but paused as they saw Pygmy Village Elder being escorted by the three special beings of their race, the priest, the fungal mancer, and the tinker. Dungeon monsters don't die, Silver said, more a reaction than a statement to the words, We do the elder said before looking at his escorts. Well, most of us, he chuckled. The priest looked up at the group with a gentle serenity. Pygmies were given the gift of life to create more of ourselves due to the gift of the floor, but uh, with life, um, we accepted death too. Only those chosen to become bastions of the race become true monsters of the dungeon. Timeless, Ned explained. And these... Our memorials, Khan said simply, eyeing the rose and pots and flowers. We are unlike the Great Mother's other monsters, perhaps closer to that of the moon than the sun. We are more feral, more cunning than most of the societies that she will create. But in return, we have an evolving culture, the community, an understanding that few others will, the fungal mancer proclaimed. We must develop and evolve our tools, using tricks and traps rather than open warfare, since we do not respond in the same manner. We willingly pass our lives onto our spores. Our children. The tinker finished, and the elder held up a hand to stall them. Now those who pass, we lay to rest for their final vigil. He nodded before chuckling. 
However, perhaps we are too casual to those of you who do not truly know what lies beyond life. We can see the manor leaving your old and entering our new, a cycle. So please, don't step on the flowers. You have passed the final test, so claim the key and depart our tunnels with a mark of bravery, cunning, and wisdom etched into your soul. The elder wheezed, clearly struggling to keep all his words in a dialect that they could understand. Dungeon, monsters, die, Silver repeated, getting worried look from Hazer and Estelle as the cloaked figure looked out over the rows of Maroyals. Don't mean to be rude, but I heard your lot are kind of formed because your dungeon uh, died? Khan asked awkwardly, getting a wide-eyed look from Estelle who made slicing motions across her throat in panic. Our fate was not death, but a ripping of our life. Without our core, we turn from silver art to grey granite ash, locked in last gasping moments of agony. But we did not die, Silver said, voice so low that it was almost bestial. Only when one half of me wandered into the tomb of Tarnished Silver did my trapped essence latch on uh, to someone compatible, Silver said finally and pulled his cloak tighter around himself. Question? came a familiar, annoying voice, and they looked up to see Maharia, the guide. What? Estelle asked, clearly not liking the fairy as ruining such a gentle atmosphere. Do you know why your core went corrupt? Maharia asked so casually that it was almost rude beyond belief. Silver twitched, and for a moment a lump appeared on their right shoulder, bulging, as if Silver were struggling to contain something before he calmed. They conflict deep. Between duty and heart, Silver finally said, and said no more. Maharia pondered that, vanishing a moment later. Hazel cleared his throat and led the group down the path, being very careful not to tread on any flowers. The pots became older and more cracked as they neared the altar. The stairs looked weathered and well-worn, but at the top an intricate bird bath sat in a shaft of light. The key laid in an empty basin and Hazel slowly took it expecting something to happen. But they all breathed a sigh of relief when it seemed the ritual truly was over. They turned as a group and all the pygmies were just gone, as if they'd never been there. To the side of the room, the passageway blocked off by large mushroom caps and roots began to pull back, revealing a narrow spiraling stone staircase back to the surface. The solemn air tensed as if they had worn out their welcome. Let's go, Azar insisted, and followed the secondary path along the wall to the potential exit. As they climbed the stairs, there came a sound of shifting earth before Khan spoke up. The stairs are collapsing behind us, he said ever so casually. Run, you buffoons, Estelle screeched, holding up her staff to light the way. With the sound of metal shifting and fabrics moving, they began to run up the stairs. Azar was doing his best to overtake Estelle, but in his haste, his head wrappings came loose, snagged by a spray root, exposing his ram horns. Estelle looked over with wide eyes and a foot missed the next step that she was aiming for. Khan reached down, sticking his head through Estelle's legs like a robust horse, carrying her with a sheer force of neck muscles. Horns! Estelle screamed. Get your head out of my cousin's legs! No time, Khan said back. Behind them, Silver just stared in awe at his friend's antics. Light ahead showed the exit was near. The trial of the Pygmies was finally over. 
but their trouble had just begun. Delta sat up, eyes blinking away sleep that couldn't be real, but she rubbed her eyes all the same. She'd been awoken by something she could only describe as a toothache, as if some piece of food had been wedged into her teeth and now the ache was spreading up the side of her face. Are you awake? New greeted as he appeared before her, but upon seeing a grimace, he paused. So, um, you do feel it, New seemed to muse. No, feel, uh, what? The stabbing pain in my head, yeah. I feel that and the guests. Good, I didn't dream them up. She stood up, wincing, and New moved around her as if assessing her state. Data leaned on her core for support as she tried to get her bearings once more. The orange ore, now striped with thin blue veins, glowed warmly at a touch. What is that? she asked, herself mostly, but she was surprised when New answered all the same. Invasion, No announced. Dalta stiffened at the word because she could feel New didn't mean the guest that was coming into the dungeon, but something deeper, more subconscious to the dungeon itself. She spread her awareness over the entire dungeon and instantly knew the source of her discomfort. One of the people in a dungeon carried a part of something, not human, a piece of something that drove her dungeon parts into a frenzy of feeling like it was intruding. Then came a slight urge to send her monsters to attack, to remove it. But Delta easily calmed down on those urges with practiced ease. She focused on the person, switching her vision to dungeon sight, watching the walls, people, monsters, and the dungeon itself break down into connected atoms of mana and bonds. Delta let out a slight gasp of horror at the sight. The person had their body mingled with the dungeon being, slowly, allowing the dungeon manor to become real. A reverse contract of sorts, a possession, but also, it seemed willing on the human's part. What was worse was that her manor could not breach the person, and his seed within fastened itself to both the person and the dungeon aspect, using both to shield itself from her attempts to drain it away. Data slowly watched the person talk with his group, biting her lip as the jaw ache that she was experiencing began to dull in intensity. That might be trouble, but how have they been progressing? I see they have two keys out of three, Data asked, trying to change the subject to something that she could control for now. They're worse than the last group and I'm enjoying every moment of their suffering. You missed the secret fish level, Nu announced, and Data snapped her fingers with clear disappointment. Ah oh well, next time, she smiled, not bothering to admonish New's bloodthirsty words. He was mostly joking at this point. Still, that meant only one key was in circulation. She watched as Rail appeared before the group once more, offering to guide them to the last destination before the boss room. And where is this fabulous place? The girl asked sarcastically as she smoothed down her robes and glared at the jungle floor for being dirt and soil. Nelta spoke the same time as Rail, their words echoing slightly. The Circus of the Damned. Kemi watched as Small evaluated the cloud dress and her group browsed the shelves of the other interesting items. It was really light and it never got dirty, she blurted out awkwardly, feeling the need to praise the dress for service as if it was a new friend that she wanted to get a promotion from her boss. Mr. Small smiled. I would hope so. It was made from taking essence of a sentient cloud and having to weave together the blessed thread. If it had been heavy, I'd be appalled. 
He announced simply as a group leader, Della picked out what looked like a provocative leather piece that was covered in spikes and parts of back of the pants seemed to be missing. Kemi guessed that it wasn't finished. She looked around the store, beginning to wonder when they had exactly come to Durance. It felt like maybe a week at most. But the town also seemed to shift with commerce and new arrivals in such a small time that she wondered if the chaotic manner about the place might be uh, distorting their sense of time. Ever since they had left Delta, Kemi having gone twice even, the scarlet moons had felt changed, as if some parts of them were different, forever changed. Days passed, and for a small time Kemi and her friends just stopped being people for a time. As their natural manner slowly absorbed the town and nearby dungeon manner in the air, they had, for a frightful day or two, become still in a sense their emotions, purpose, had dulled. They got up, they ate breakfast at the inn, they talked about going to the dungeon or about the rise of monster attacks, had dinner, then went to bed. It had terrified Kemi until they woke up one day to find their manner completely saturated and a great film over their minds and souls lifted. Anea, standing striking in her dark leather and arms crossed, knew what had happened. The curse of Jurats. The effects of living over a dead manor veins of the land, but thankfully, the dungeon's manor seemed almost designed to help people quickly overcome the effects of such a thing. Delta's manor is the air felt purposeful, and sometimes a little excitable. Kemi idly turned her mushroom staff, ignoring the bemused smile of Mr. Smalls at the sight of it. Mel, I'm glad to say the dress won't require any repairs, so you must have handled it beautifully, the dentist said brightly, and Kemi offered him a shy smile as a group shot her grins. Though he offered no reward at the time, Mr. Smalls went under his counter and brought out a carefully wrapped parcels, one for each of them. I made them with care and attention to detail, the man promised as he handed them over to the group. Kemi opened the package to see a bright orange fabric. It looked a little like a skirt, but much tighter and stretchy material at the neck and sleeves. The front showed an animated smiling mushroom cap with large eyes. It had a little speech bubble coming off of it as it winked. I experienced mushrooms in Delta's dungeon, it proclaimed. Kemi smiled awkwardly, not saying anything that could be conceived of as a white lie. Delums was the same, but with a different line. Delta's mushrooms are the only mushroom-shaped thing I put in my mouth. Kemi heard Anea swallow back a comment, and her shirt wasn't much better. I went inside Delta, and all I got was this sweet loot. Kemi needed to see what Gong's shirt said. The giant of a man holding his extra-large shirt laughed. His went on and on, until it nearly went off the shirt entirely. That was one was a custom job, Mr. Smalls admitted. Cocktails to knock your socks off at Ferris Bar, located in Delta's dungeon. Meals are provided with drinks. No shirt, no sale. No money, no sale. No manners, no sale. Ferris Bar is not legally responsible for any spontaneous splitting of forms, body morphing, hair growth, or surprise employment. The back was a large image of a smirking hog with an apple stuck in one of its tusks, named Swarthy Hog, under it in fancy black writing. I'll swap you, Ania and Delam said at the same time, and Gongo hugged it close. I can wear this outside. I can't. But yours, he muttered protectively. Kemi could not blame the man. Thank you, Kemi said, bowing to the man who was far too entertained at their expressions. This is a whole new line of uh, business, Mr. Smalls mused. 
stretchy shirts that said things that would embarrass anyone with shame. Ania asked sarcastically as she tucked the free gift away in a bag. Clothing that makes people curious. Walking words that draw the eye to the dungeon dalta's weirdness. Clothes that tempt. Mr. Small's eyes lit up. Temptation shirts, he cried, as if an idea struck him like lightning. Cammy smiled at him again, but she really hoped this idea wouldn't spread. People walking around with weird jokes written on their clothes would make her want to stop and stare. Enjoy your... tea... shirts? Delam said with manners and ushered Anea out of the store quickly. Kemi turned to leave, but the owner called out to her as she turned back. The slightly excitable energy about him had calmed down and he looked serious. No group should move soon, he advised, and Kemi blinked at the words, at the tone shift. Uh, sorry? She said, and he looked at her with a sort of sadness. You're young things, lots to live for and a world to see. Don't stick around here, it's too long. It has ways of sinking into you and, uh, oh, things are going to get troublesome around here. He warned, and Kemi hesitated before she spoke up. From the kingdom? How they regulate dungeons of fair play? She asked softly, and Mr. Smalls rubbed the small white scar on one of his otherwise pristine fingertips. I don't recall, he said finally. And that was a strange thing to say. But Kami didn't sense any lies about his words. And that scared Kami more than his warning could. Hazer looked at the massive form sitting before what could have been a crack in the dungeon wall. A tunnel of sorts. It's a monkey, Khan pointed out as the giant creature bared its teeth in annoyance, shifting slightly to show there was no tail coming off its rear. It's in the way. Do we scoot around or... Estelle brought up a testily, and the giant ape thing eyed her before sniffing. No need. Wilhelm here is just keeping you outside while those inside do one final preparation. Beamed rail. Coming to stand near them, and Estelle's crabby nature instantly turned soft as she giggled at him. Oh, that makes sense, Mr. Rail, she said, and Hazer coughed at her. Shut it, you goat, she said, her smile never faltering. Hazer winced and felt like he took some of the mental damage as he curled inwards, a little like his horns. If I'm a goat and you're a damn succubus harpy, he retorted, feeling like he was ten years old and pulling his cousin's hair for ruining his stick fortress. Silver wandered over and the giant creature let Silver stroke his furry hand, more curious of Silver than annoyed. What exactly is a circus of the damned? Hazer asked to put them back on track. Circus of the Damned, Rail said, as if correcting him. That's what I said, Circus of the Damned. Hazar blinked at the muscular frogman. It has uh, weight to it. Imagine the words are your last lifeline to the top of the ravine, the last light before night, or the last flickering of a candle before the darkness comes, Rail insisted, lowering his voice to a whisper. Circus of the Damned, Khan said, voice grave, and Rail nodded in approval. I'll just abbreviate it, Hazar muttered, not giving in to the urge to be dramatic. What is, uh, C-O-D? C-O-T-D? He tried aloud. No, come on, say it right. Estelle poked him with a devilish smile. Hazar met her eyes and narrowed his own eyes to glare. You say it first, he gritted out. Estelle's smile turned bright as she put her hand on her head, leaning into Rail with a flutter of her eyes. I want to hear about the circus of the damned, she whispered, and the frog caught her before she could fall flat on her face. 
The trees around them ached and groaned as if a toad was adding to some effect. They all turned to Hazer, even the damn monkey. He inhaled, wondering if you could just leave it at this point. Circus of the d d damned he started, feeling foolish. Estelle and Khan's eyes went wide as he glared at them. I said it. What more do you want? asked. Annoyed, and Estelle raised a finger, skin going ashen. Behind you, she croaked, and Hazel stiffened. He just noticed the birdsong had gone quiet. The river nearby seemed to lower in volume, and the very life of the jungle had paused for a moment, and Hazel felt a chill crawling up his spine. He looked over one shoulder into the face that was a little like a dummy's with beady eyes and a drawn-on little smile. His outfit red with a top hat on his head. The red was, vivid, a little too dark to be cheerful, and his ruffles looked more like spiderweb. He held a cane, and when he tilted his head, the dirty hair flowed down to the one side. All greet Circus Master Rennie, Rail said, bowing at the creature. Hello? Azar said, wondering why he was shaking. The creature tilted his head again and smiled, the entire lower half of his mouth splitting open like an Alderidge nightmare that informed the group the painted smile was a trap. Teeth as long as Hazer's fingers glinted at him and the black gums seemed to suck in any light. That was the exact moment that Hazar's horns fell off in fright. Moo! Renny! First visitors! I'm in your corner! Dalthia cried, shaking her hips in a circular motion as Renny made her guests pee themselves at first greeting. My little ghoul is a man! She fist-pumped into the air, excitedly, unable to help but enjoy the moment, as the wuss would be the first time the Circus of the Damned would be put on show. Delta even had a ticket. Sure, she'd made it, but she still had one. I am going to enjoy this immensely, was News' comment. Rennie shot them a cheeky wink as he turned, clapping his hands, which made no sound at all as the tunnel ahead ignited with ghostly blue fire that seemed to shimmer off different mushrooms. It was time for the show to begin. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers. I would just like to give a quick thanks to the T5 channel members and patrons. Alithia, Parky, Feudic Yol, Meridian117, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Angry Marine, Lord Azrakal, and White Van 420